0: Uh, This is Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ships threatened to break up. Tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to... What shall we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did, did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him.
1: Thanks, Jay. Let's, uh, let's pray now as we, uh, as we prepare to hear uh, Andrew speak to us. Lord, we uh, we thank you for Andrew, and um, thank you for uh, all of the, the work that he does for our church uh, as one of our wardens. Uh, but we pray your blessing on him tonight as he brings us your word. Uh, pray that you will help him uh, that by your Spirit you will um, free his lips to to speak to us tonight. And Lord, may we. Um, receive your word with open hearts. May you give us fresh eyes uh, as we think about uh, Jonah in this first chapter of Jonah especially. Um, Open it and make it alive in our hearts and show us uh, what it means to us in the days and weeks and months ahead.
0: Amen. Amen.
1: I wonder how you react um, when you're asked to do something. It can be anything. But I suppose how we react depends on what exactly we are asked to do, doesn't it? If it's something that we desperately want to do, then there is no great trouble. Yes, of course, we're there in a flash, we'll do it, of course we will. But perhaps when it's something that's slightly less agreeable, uh, we'll perhaps find any manner of excuses uh, as to why we're not able to do it. We might not come straight out with our reasons as to why we're not going to do it, we'll be very creative, but I'm sure we'll think them, I'm sure we'll put lots of things... In our way, I always remember um, as a a child, Sunday afternoon after Sunday lunch, um, it was the days of pre-dishwashers, and it was my turn to do the dishes. Dad said, Andrew, it's time to come and do the dishes. Did I want to do them? No, of course I didn't. I found any number of excuses and reasons for not doing them. Suddenly my homework needed doing, suddenly my room needed tidying, suddenly there was something extremely pressing that I needed to go and do. Those things I didn't care about doing, but suddenly they were so much more important than what I was being asked to do. We have to be honest, don't we? Sometimes it is a struggle to do what is asked of us. Sometimes obedience is difficult, especially if we, uh, as Christians, don't see the point or it doesn't fit with our schedules. Uh, We can, can't we? Be very creative with our reasons uh, to get out of things. Now, of course, I'm not saying that we should say yes to everything that is ever asked of us, to all the tasks that we are asked for, whether in church or not. We are perfectly entitled to say, no, I can't do that. That is perfectly reasonable. But as Christians, the command to obey God, the command to be obedient to God, is not an optional one. We may often have trouble discerning what that call is, what that that means for us. That's another sermon for another time. But obedience to God's call on our lives is not one that we should ignore, or can ignore, as Jonah duly discovered. And let's be honest, being very often being, um, being obedient, it's not, it's not particularly fun, is it? Sometimes we like just that little bit of a rebellious streak. It's too hard, isn't it? It's just too inconvenient. We like being slightly rebellious. But I wonder, therefore, what, um, what we do when it comes to obedience to God? Is that how we react when God has a call upon our lives? Whether we are called to that by another person in the church through prayer and discerning, or because of a direct challenge from God, I wonder how we react to that. Do we respond with excuses and reasons as to why we can't do it? It's too hard, someone else is better, I'm not gifted enough, I'm not well enough equipped, I just don't have the time, my kids need me. Or perhaps just a simple no sometimes, I I don't want to. And if you do that, and I think, let's be honest, we all do. I know that I do. We're in good company because Jonah had a very specific call from God. A very specific call to obey God. Jonah was asked to go and do something very difficult for him. But his response to God challenges us to look at ourselves and how we react to God's call upon our lives as Christians in 2018. Jonah provides us a glimpse as well of God's grace and of God's love so that when we did do disobey him, there is a way back for us. There is a way that we can come and be renewed with God. We can be reunited with God because God has gone to great lengths to win us back. So even when we have wandered off, even when we have gone our own way, uh, there is a way for us to come back and that is the wonderful message of Jonah those two things to hold intention but i just want to unpack Jonah chapter 1 just by looking at three things this evening firstly Jonah's call by God in verses 1 and 2 it says in verse 1 the word of the lord came to jonah it came to him it came to jonah alone it didn't come to anybody else god had a task for jonah we see the expression that it said in here, "The word of the Lord it said "The word of the Lord came to Jonah." And we see that expression used quite a lot in Old Testament prophecy. It clearly indicates the source of where this word had come from, and of course, its divine authority. It was a call from God. But what was God's call to Jonah? Well, verse two tells us. And again, as with most things that God says, it's pretty direct. He doesn't beat about the bush. He doesn't kind of frame it in a slightly ambiguous way. Verse 2, Jonah was called by God to go and preach against the great city of Nineveh. Why? Because its wickedness had come up before him, before God. Jonah had been singled out by God as the one he wanted to go and to do this task. Now, let's be clear from the outset. This was no easy call. This was no walk in the park. God was calling Jonah to go into a very dangerous place, to undertake a very significant task. If we know anything of Nineveh, we know it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were the enemies of God, they were um, a brutal nation, they were a powerful nation, but they had no regard for God. They were violent, its leaders were, were brutal leaders, killing anybody who got in their way. It didn't think it needed God. It had great city walls. There was no doubt a big moat surrounding it, fortified uh, from every side. It was a big, brutal city full of hostility and danger. So there's no doubt that uh, it would have been a pretty tough audience, wouldn't it, going into, uh, going into Nineveh? And of course, we pla- if we placed Nineveh in a modern-day context, uh, Nineveh would have sat uh, basically square in the middle of Iraq, If I was to ask you to go to Iraq, or if somebody was to ask you to go there, I wonder what your reaction would be to that. Are starting to get the picture? This call upon Jonah was not an easy one. It was not one that was, say, a walk in the park. It was difficult. It had its challenges. But not only was there the physical challenge, there was the spiritual challenge as well, because Nineveh was a Gentile nation. And when we, when we talk about Gentiles, of course, we mean uh, nations that were not the chosen nation of Israel. They were not the chosen people of God. Jonah was asking, uh, God was asking Jonah to go and preach to a Gentile nation. He was asking him to go and preach to the enemies of the Israelite people. And it wasn't just to do one or two people kind of dotted inside Nineveh. No, it was to the whole nation. That's what God called him to do. Throughout Old Testament history, we can read about how God dealt with his people when they turned their backs on him. We see it throughout, uh, once they were, they'd come out of um, Egypt, this sin cycle of, uh, of turning back to God, of rejoicing in him, and then slowly but surely falling away, and then coming back to God again, and then surely but surely falling away. Time and time again, the Israelites forgot God. Even when Moses was up on the mountain, When he comes down, they're worshipping a golden calf. It's not been that long since they've come out of Egypt. And here they are worshipping a golden calf. They've forgotten their God already. But God is gracious, and time and time again, he welcomes them back because he loves them, because they are his chosen people. But in this sin cycle comes a direct warning from God. And if you've got your Bibles, just flick over to Deuteronomy 32. It's one of many, but this is a, a stark warning from God. Jonah, uh, Jonah uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse, uh, well, I'll read verses 19 and 20. You can read uh, beforehand if you wish. But verse 19, the Lord saw this and rejected them because he was angered by his sons and daughters. And here's the crux. I will hide my face from them, he said, and see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. God's ultimate judgment on his chosen people is that he will, if not turn his back on them, that they will cease to become his chosen nation in in, in a unique sense, that his message of love will be taken beyond Israel to the Gentile nations. God says, I will hide my face from them. He's quite clear. I will hide my face. I will turn away from them. But I will take my love beyond the boundaries and I will go and take it elsewhere. So here was Jonah effectively being asked to do the very thing that would make God turn his face against Israel. Jonah has been asked to go and take the message of love to the Gentile nation, to the nations other than the chosen ones of Israel. Jonah would have been a scholar of the scriptures. He'd have known that. He'd have known that scripture. He'd have known what this call by God meant for him. and therefore perhaps if we understand that if we understand the physical danger and the spiritual reality of what he was doing we can perhaps understand what uh, why he reacted to god in the way he did because we see don't we as well as we see jonah's call from god secondly we see jonah's reaction to god in verses 3 in verse 3 sorry jonah had a direct call with a direct task And we might assume, given the directness of this call, that he might just go straight there and get on with it, given the clarity with which he'd been given this message in the first place. But he doesn't. When Jonah receives this call from God, his reaction is not to go straight to Nineveh as God had commanded, but to go in the opposite direction, to jump on a boat, to head for Tarshish, uh, probably in Spain. Now, again, where would you rather go? The middle of Nineveh or to sunny Spain? I probably know where I'd rather go. So it's easy to, be, easy to be critical of Jonah, isn't it? But if we look at everything in the whole, you know, it's not perhaps quite so beyond the realms of possibility. So he heads down to this port to get on a boat to go uh, to Tarshish. He goes in the other, opposite direction. And again, his, his decision uh, was quite deliberate. Uh, he should have been going up to Nineveh, but he goes down uh, to Joppa to catch this boat. He goes in one way when he should have been going in the other and he didn't misunderstand the request. No, it wasn't lost in translation. It wasn't sent out in text-speak that he didn't understand. There was no funny accent involved where he didn't perhaps misunderstood where he was supposed to be going. He hadn't got the map out and had turned it upside down and was reading it in the wrong way. No, Jonah knew exactly what he was doing. Jonah's decision was deliberate. We were told in verse 10, weren't we? we'll come to it in a minute, but in verse 10 he'd even told the sailors that he was deliberately disobeying God, that he was going away from what the call of God had been on his life. But perhaps in light of what we said in our previous poem, we can understand, we can understand and we can sympathise as to why he chose to ignore what God had asked of him. I think he understood God very well. There's a, often it's said that Jonah didn't understand God. I think he understood God very well. We are told in chapter four. We're not going to look at it this evening, but we're told in chapter four that Jonah knew that if he went and preached to the great city of Nineveh, that they would repent. God knows about the love of God. God knows that God is a God of justice. God knows the power of His message. Uh, Jonah knows the power of God's message. He knew that if he went and proclaimed it, that they would repent, and it, in a sense, it would sign the death knoll of, uh, say, of Israel being the chosen nation. And indeed, that's how it proved. So Jonah was understandably unwilling to be the mouthpiece of this powerful message of love and of forgiveness, knowing and understanding that this would mean rejection for his own people. And it was a seminal moment in Israel's history. So there's no doubt, in my mind, that this was a tough call for Jonah. This was a difficult call of obedience. He ran, not well, he was disobedient, yes, but he ran strangely because he knew that God was a gracious God, abounding in love, and that if he went and proclaimed the message, as we see later on in the, in the book, that God would be gracious and he would save them, and indeed that's what would happen. And it's easy to be critical of Jonah, isn't it? Easy. It's a, it's a, he's a quite easy character to pick on, to say, well, how dare you, how dare you kind of run away from God when the message was so clear of what you should have done. Well, put yourself in his situation. If God had called you, if you had been Jonah, and God had called you to that situation, I wonder what you would have done. Would you have hopped on the boat to Tarshish, or would you have got on your donkey, or whatever mode of transport needed, have gone up to Nineveh straight away? I don't know. But the reality is we run from God all the time, don't we? We might not hop on a boat to go to another nation. We might not run away from from this sort of situation. But we certainly hide behind our well-rehearsed excuses, don't we? We put obstacles in the way of our obedience. I'm just too tired tonight. Others are better at doing that. I'm not very good at praying. I don't see the point. I'm not gifted enough. We seek to justify our actions with our well-framed excuses. And to to humans, at least, they, they sound credible, they sound real, they sound highly plausible. But I think the reality is that we would rather stay inside our comfort zones, wouldn't we? We are comfortable with our situations in church. We are comfortable with the status quo. We like the people in our church, I, I hope, um, and perhaps to have others from out there, people who we don't uh, can't associate with very well, people who we don't understand coming in and upsetting the status quo. That's not something we find desperately easy, is it? So therefore, we will stay in here. We will stay... Um, in our churches, not existing out of there. The simple fact is that we struggle with obedience and we struggle struggle to follow faithfully. There's an account in Luke, uh, Luke 9 and verse 57, again if you've got a Bible turn to it, um, where some men are asked to follow. It says this, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand in the plough and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus, again, isn't saying that those things weren't important, but he was challenging them on their priorities. We will follow, but it comes with certain conditions. We will follow, but we'll follow on our terms, thank you very much. I'll do this instead. I know you've called me to do that, but I'll, I'll go and do this, because that, that's still your work, Lord. I'd, I'd rather do that, if that's okay. We'll strike, we kind of think we can strike some sort of eternal deal with God. I'll do this, just please don't make me do that. And in this respect, we're probably more like Jonah than we would care to admit. God might not be calling us to go to a foreign country, although he may well be. But I do know that God has a call upon all of our lives that we are required to obey. He's calling us to live for him in our our churches, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools. He's calling us to show the love of God. He's calling us... Uh, to be, as somebody once said, to be Jesus with skin on to the nation around us, to the people around us, to show us what Jesus is like. That call of obedience is not optional. That is a call that God is calling each and every one of us to, and I can guarantee that, I know that. He's calling us to live for him, to show those around us the love that he has for them. To show, the God, to show them the God who will do anything to win them back. So we've seen the call of God to Jonah, and we've seen Jonah's reaction to God of that call. But thirdly, we see Jonah's eventual realisation of God, verses 4 through to 16. Did God change his mind after Jonah ran away? No. I wonder if there was a thought in Jonah's mind that maybe if he ignored it long enough, if he kind of pushed it to the back of the cupboard for long enough, that God would forget, that he would send somebody else, that there were bound to be more talented prophets around than humble old Jonah. God will pick on them instead and he'll send them to to Nineveh. I'll I'll go off to sunny Spain and do my bit down there. Well, again, if Jonah's anything like us, and I think he is, then that is often some of the excuses we give, isn't it? If we ignore God for long enough, He will forget. He won't ask us again. But as Jonah discovered, and I guess as we discover in our lives, this is not the case. And it wasn't long before Jonah realised what an error he'd made, that he'd messed up. He discovered, in a very uh, powerful way, that he could not run from God. And once he is on this boat, once he has paid his fare, once he has jumped on board. The finger of God points squarely at Jonah. It immediately exposes his rebellion and his sin. The God of the universe sends a storm. This is no ordinary storm. This is no British storm with a few waves and bits and pieces. This is no ordinary storm. Experienced sailors are quaking in their boots. It's very violent. And it's almost comical what the sailors try to do. They try and lighten the load, they try and throw stuff overboard to try and you know, ease, their, ease their plight. In the midst of the panic, though, what, what's Jonah doing? Well, he's having a snooze. He's catching 40 winks in the corner. But it's interesting that the, the dialogue that follows, and I'm just going to read it again. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where are you from? What is your country? From what people are you? Lots of questions being fired at Jonah. He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running from away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do? to make the sea calm down for us. Jonah's response is quite clear. He says, you need to throw me overboard. The sailors go, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to throw you overboard. So what do they try and do? They try and and row back to shore. It's futile, isn't it? It's like trying to stop the Niagara Falls with a thimble. It's not going to happen. But Jonah knows that this storm is of God. Jonah knows that this, this storm has come about because of his disobedience, because the fact he has not obeyed God. And here we see God working to bring the wayward prophet back, using this storm, using this most terrifying of circumstances. Let's say, Jonah has been self-aware enough to admit that he had disobeyed God, and his response is simple, throw me overboard. I must be sacrificed to save the lives of of others. I must become that sacrifice so that you may live. And it's true, isn't it, that God can use storms, He can use difficult situations in our own lives to accomplish His will. When we run from God, He can use life's storms and difficulties to draw us back to Himself because He knows that when we go off by ourselves, usually we make a bit of a hash of it. And he uses life storms to draw us back. Trials, difficulties, suffering, nagging feelings, uncomfortableness. God will use anything to draw you back into obedience to him. But let's just be clear for a moment. The storms that Jonah experienced and the storms and difficulties we face in our own life are not the response of an angry God waving his finger saying, I'm going to show them who's boss. I am in charge and I am going to make them pay for what they have done. No, that is not the God that I serve. Rather, God uses those things to strip away the reliance on ourselves, to strip away our excuses, to strip away the things that we hold dear, the things that that we think are important, or the things that perhaps we think we're not very good at. And he says, I can help you. I am with you. Because running from God is ultimately, it's fairly pointless. It's fairly futile. The problem often is, isn't it, that, the path to disobedience or being disobedient is actually a fairly easy one. Being disobedient is quite straightforward. The path is wide, the path is inviting, the path is quite exciting sometimes. It can convince us that disobedience is okay, and sometimes the longer we feel we've got away with it, it can convince us that we can escape God, that we can run away from his call upon our lives. But as Jonah showed, we cannot escape that call of God upon our lives. He will catch up with us and he will bring us back in love because God is a God of love. Uh, Hugh Martin, who was a commentator on Jonah, said this. He said, beneath the surface, while he holds the storm in his left hand, in his right hand he holds deliverance. And behind all of this, in the depths of the Lord's heart, there is protecting, redeeming, life-giving love. So if we understand that God uses any means possible to bring us back, we understand verses like Romans eight twenty-eight in a new way, that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. He works for our good and for his glory. So when the difficulties come, they're not the response of an angry God wanting to draw us back in kind of some sort of spiteful way. But no, they are the response of a loving God. Because the good news of Jonah is that God has provided a way for us to be forgiven. So that when we do disobey, when we have disobeyed the call of God upon our lives, when we do turn our backs, the welcoming arms of God's eternal love and salvation are there, ready and waiting. So we've seen from Jonah, haven't we, how God had this direct call and how he reacted to that call. The call to Christian service can sometimes be tough, can't it? We will admit that. Being Christians is not an easy place to be. Um, The world does not understand very often. They will say spiteful things, they will do hurtful things. But as Jonah shows, running away from God because of the consequences of those things is not the answer. But what if you have run from God? What if you are running from God this evening, look out on a sea of faces. There may be things that God is calling you to do and you are currently not, you are wrestling with that call of God upon your lives. You are try, Perhaps you're trying to ignore it. You're trying to push it to the back of the cupboard, hoping that it will go away, hoping that God may well forget. You know that God is asking it of you. You know what God is calling you to do. But you've been ignoring God. You've been putting those things in your way. But the account of Jonah, as well as in a sense being a warning against disobedience, provides a clear picture of what is available when we do turn back to God, of what God's promise to us as Christians is. The verse that we read in Matthew where uh, Jesus describes Jonah um, in in comparing himself with Jonah, it's a direct quote pretty much from uh, Jonah verse uh, 1 verse 17 I love it when the Bible gives really clear pictures when it's just so straightforward and in your face that actually making the comparison is, is no effort at all and verse 17 is one such place it sits at the end of the chapter and it says and the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights And here is a reminder that even when we have not followed God as we should, that there is forgiveness, that there is salvation awaiting for us if we return to him. It says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so Jesus was in the belly of the earth for three days. A direct quotation from Matthew 12, verse 40. And here is Jonah in the Old Testament. Here is this picture of Jonah inside the belly of the fish pointing forward at a time when another one would come, so that when we, just like Jonah, at rock bottom, when we have run away from God, that we can come back to him, that there is a way to return. Now, I don't know, I'm not a a great um, lover of fish particularly, but I do know uh, the diet of fish is not human beings, unless your jaws, of course. And so the fish, when it swallowed Jonah... It, had a foreign, it literally had a foreign body in its stomach. He found a strange object that ultimately he had to vomit back up onto dry land. And so it is with our Lord Jesus Christ. He was in the belly of the earth for three days. And he was in a grave. It's almost as if the grave said, here is the Lord of life. What is he doing in a grave? A grave meant for dead people. And after three days, the grave literally vomited Jesus back up back up to life, back into the world. The Lord of life in a grave? Not likely. The grave could not contain him because he was the Lord of life. He was not supposed to be dead. He was not supposed to be in a grave. Have you disobeyed God? Have you strayed from God's call upon your life? Well, you're in good company because we've all done that. Jonah has done that. But it's interesting, even Jesus struggled with the call of God upon his life. We read in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus prayed, Lord, take this cup from me. In his greatest hour of need, he was praying, take this cup. He's about to go to the cross. He wants this this burden, this thing that God is asking him to do. He wants that to be taken from him. But unlike us, he prayed, well, your will be done. And he went to the cross for us. Of course, comparing ourselves with Jesus is perhaps a slightly unfair comparison. But you get the picture, don't you? Jonah reminds us that the love of God is available and is free to anyone and everyone who has run away from God, who has disobeyed the call of God upon our lives. And verse 17 stands as a reminder that if you have, the Lord of life wants to bring you back, wants to bring you back into fullness of life with him. Jonah points us to Jesus, doesn't he? And that the cross stands as a reminder that even in the midst of our disobedience can come the very heights of the joy of salvation. From the depths of our sin, from our disobedience, we have been rescued, we have been freed, we have been redeemed, and we have been saved. And we are free to allow us to follow God again, to follow God again afresh, to say, Lord, I'm sorry for running away from you. Let's try again, shall we? And God says, Come on in, let's try again, let's try at it again together. And that's the God that we love, and that's the God that we serve. Not only has he given us a way back, but he has promised that when we try again, he will be with us again. As Jonah found out, there is always a second chance. We read in chapter three that when Jonah went, when he was called a second time after he had been thrown up by the fish, he went to Nineveh. He went and he proclaimed the message of God and Nineveh turned its back, uh, turned back to God. The leaders were in sackcloth and ashes. God doesn't remember our disobedience. He walks with us as we serve him. So are you running away from him this evening? Maybe you are. Turn back to him because God has everlasting arms of love that just want to envelop you. And there is the promise of a Saviour who has already died and has risen again for us, that we might be forgiven for those wrong things that we have done. Jesus' death and resurrection is clear proof that the grace and love of God extends to all, time after time after time after time after time. So Jonah points us to Jesus, doesn't he? He reminds us not only of our disobedience to God, but he reminds us of the salvation that is freely available through the Lord Jesus Christ. So obedience to God is at the very centrality of our faith. Come back to him this evening. He wants to welcome you with open arms. Amen.